get up, get, get up, get up. What is up, Mets fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Mets Up Podcast, the official podcast of the New York Mets. Episode 122, going over the Colorado Rockies four-game series that just happened this weekend. Mets had a pretty good one, one three or four, took care of business. Would have loved to get the four-game sweep, but game four, we just couldn't pull through. We'll talk about this series as well as the big highlight of the weekend, which was definitely old-timers day, which me and James were at basically from the crack of dawn. I mean, we were at the brunch, we're at the game, we're at the field talking to players, chit-chatting with the old folk. It was great to be there. I was very excited, and we can't wait to tell you about all the great stories we have from this past weekend. So if you guys are not yet listening to us, subscribe to us, follow us on our social media. Make sure you are at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. If you're looking for the YouTube channel, the YouTube videos, go to the New York Mets channel, subscribe over there, you'll be able to watch us. And if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcasts, drop us a rating, drop us a review, download, subscribe, all that good stuff. We do appreciate you. And James, back at, back at our parents' house. I feel like it hasn't been a while since we've done an episode here. Definitely. We're busy guys these days, you know? God, we still got to make time for family, always. Yeah, and of course, we get a little different backdrops, not the professional YouTube background or your typical white walls out in Brooklyn. Got some stuff behind you. Care to share with the viewers what we're looking at? I got some great memorabilia in my room. I got Delgado over there, Good Reyes one. with David Eckstein sliding in, Scoundrel, <laughs> <laughs> Keith, Daryl, LaDuca. LaDuca. And, uh, who's that right there? Oh, that's Keith. That's Andy. Andy Chavez, Daryl Strawberry, LaDuca. There's Keith. The Keith and Daryl were in our story apartment, too, if you remember. Yes, the Keith. Oh, I do remember those pictures. And then I have Clyde. I have Mookie Wilson, Billy Buckner, Mookie Wilson, MVP of Timers Day. What a day. Darrell Revis over here. Funny story there. Got that jersey. I was wearing that jersey on my back, and I saw Revis. I had nothing for him to sign at, like, a Jets practice. I just went shirtless 13-year-old into a crowd and got him <laughs> signed it. And then Franklin. I thought you were going to tell the story about when you guys like snuck into an event or whatever. And you I got... wasn't there. That was cool, though. I have a helmet over there. No, football over there that got signed by most of the Jets. That was like a 2009 or 10 team. Jericho, I, I'll just share it now. Yeah. It's a funny one. Jericho Cotter used to throw this like big charity event at a car dealership on Route 22. I want to say Mercedes something. Got to be Ray Katina. Has to yeah, be. Yeah, probably. And my dad was one day was like, hey, do you want to go to the Jets event? I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure. He's like, all right, just act natural. My dad kept on like a nice clothes from work, like his suit, and we just walked in. That's awesome. Got food, met most of the Jets team, got tons of autographs. It was a great, it was a wonderful night. Had to be a great memory for 13, 14-year-old James at the time. Yeah, I think I might, it was right when those Jets were good too, so they were like cool, and it was like 13 or 14-year-old James. I got to say, 12. especially like after this weekend, because let's talk about Old Timers Day first, right? Let's, let's go into that, because that. that was definitely the highlight of the weekend. I mean, the Mets really took care of business. There wasn't a whole lot of particularly deep conversation that needs to be had about these games. We'll still do it, but Old Timers Day was awesome, and now that we are a part of the Mets family, which is really cool, we get to be involved in these cool opportunities. Like They had the brunch for all the Old Timers who were you know, not from the city, not living in the area. They were at one of the hotels in the Upper East Side and got to really just hang out with some of the old timers, eat some lunch, had some great bacon, which was it was the highlight of my day, a lot of strips of bacon, and just chit-chat with all the guys. We got, what, like 20 or so like quick little hard-hitting interviews. I shouldn't say hard-hitting. They were very easy questions. They were Opposite of hard-hitting. Yeah, they were very easy, but some quick quick interviews with these old timers. No, it was surreal. Like We got to meet original Mets, like guys who played in the first ever Mets team. We got yeah. guys who played the Mets before our dads were born. I got to interview Frank Thomas, who is 93 years old. He was like the guy in 62. He was by far their best offensive player, it seemed. He had some big numbers. 93 years old. He had just recently fallen and was like, you know, not feeling too great. 
when I did my interview with him, it was it got a little morbid because he was like, it's going to be the last time I put this jersey on. I was like, Frank, <laughs> Frank, we're trying to keep the spirits up here. But all these guys, especially from that 62 team, you could see that it meant so much for them to be invited back. Like they were like, I almost like they couldn't believe it. Like, I can't believe I get to relive my glory days once again as a New York Met. Yeah, just feel like you're a member of a team again. A team that like made these guys professional baseball players. It was unbelievable to see Ed Cranepool yeah. like walk across the field and get a standing ovation from the fans. See Jay Hook, who threw out the first pitch on Saturday night, got the first win in Mets franchise history. Seeing a bunch of guys from the 86 team come back together. Seeing a lot of guys from those 90s teams. We talk about a lot on this podcast, like an under, like not as well enough known part of Mets lore team, a run of years that were pretty successful in terms of Mets history, come back and get their due. It was, it was unbelievable being like a first-hand member of it. Also funny that you mentioned doing it at the crack of dawn. It was it was 9 a.m. Well, yeah, I mean, for me. You're dawn, yeah. <laughs> I woke up at 7.30 for this, and I still um, I was still the last one there, which you is were. funny. Well, to be fair, the trains in Astoria, I'm not going to tell you where I live, but the, the stop that I had, they just decided, ah, it's going to be expressed today. So it's running from Astoria Boulevard to Queensboro Plaza. I'm right in between those two for my stops, and I just, I walk there, and go, oh, I now have to take a cab because if I wait at Astoria Boulevard, I will be late to the event. And I don't feel like that would have been a good idea. L train also wasn't running near where I live. So I had to take a city bike like six stops ahead of where I live and hop on the train there and just pray basically. Yeah, I thought about that and I was like, I don't want to get sweaty. And then the cab that I took definitely like just didn't have the AC on whatsoever. And he had just been boiling in the heat in the sun and I was dripping in sweat. So that completely went out the window. Did get some nice polos out of it though. That baby blue polo was looking clean. Definitely. But then once we got there, I just like scarfed down some food. Then we were like literally thrown into it. Just talking to like some of the greatest Mets in the history of the franchise. And we got this, like there were 64 Mets there and just being the incredible journalist Mark and I are, of course we prepared prepared for every single one. We sat down together on Friday night on discord and got like three lines, two, three, four questions ready for every single guy. And when you get there, it's kind of like, Oh, this is really happening. And I did the first one of the day with John Matlack, who is uh, what like my dad likes John Matt like a lot. He's one of the best pitchers in Mets history. And I just, I totally froze up. I had a bad, <laughs> I had a bad gaffe. I'm not going to say what it was. He oh yeah. It. I, I was really unhappy about it. I kind of had it. To... No, I won't. I won't. No, whatever. <laughs> just don't have to say it. But like, it was like, I had to like be a quarterback for a second where it's like, I need to have a short memory. Cause if I, if I take that screw up into the next interview, I'm going to ruin this entire day. Yeah, you gotta be like gotta... a fish. Exactly. Yeah. Quick memory, quick memory, goldfish. It goes away in a moment, but we it's, got it's together right. after that. Yeah. When I, uh, when I spoke to Yogi Berra's granddaughter, who is there, we were talking to her for a little bit for some content that's going to be coming out, which is also really cool that Yogi Berra's granddaughter was there and able to hang around some guys that she, you know, had been familiar with. I said, your dad. And I was like, that's, that's not correct. <laughs> I took, I said, how cool is it for Yogi to be your grandfather? And then I followed it up with your dad. And I was like, it's not right. I mean, listen, while we are, you know, the big J journos, as you would say, everyone's human. We are human at the end of the day. Yeah, it's also just like it's stunning for us because we are fans first. 100%. And to be around like some of the greatest Mets in history in a hotel on the Upper East Side eating bacon and eggs. Dude, when Mike Piazza walked in, me and you both stopped in our – you smacked me. He gave me a smack. Mike even, Piazza is here. Couldn't even, I couldn't even breathe. No, he Mike walked Piazza. by us like three or four times just in passing, and every single time I was like <laughs> – I was like, I don't, I don't think I'm going to be able to say, hey, I don't think I'm like, there were plenty of other players that walked by and we made a comment. Hey, how are you? Good to see yeah. you. Mike Piazza was like, I don't think I can say anything. Like, what if I, what if I don't say it right? What if I'm weird? Like, I've never really had that feeling before of just being like, oh my God, my, my childhood hero is within inches of me. And I don't know what to do. If Mike Piazza didn't exist, this podcast wouldn't exist. Oh, 
big time. I mean, like, I think we still would have been big Mets fans because of our dads. Like, I don't think we really like would have ever yeah. escaped from that. But I really don't know if I would have fallen in love with baseball or the Mets the way that I did without Mike Piazza. Like, I wore 31. I wanted to be a catcher. Everything that I did baseball-wise, like my stance, everything was like, I want to be like Mike Piazza. And I feel like that obsession kind of helped mold me into just being a crazy Mets fan. And then seeing Mike Piazza in a full kit, taking batting practice, hitting and bombs, just parking balls in the left field stands over the Great Wall of Flushing was like, is this really happening right now? Like, why am I in the field? He's like first four swings, you, you know, he had to shake off the rust a little bit, like a couple ground balls, a couple like that. And then all of a sudden just doof, doof. And you're like, it's shocking how much the ball jumps off his bat. And he really wasn't even taking hard swings. It was like nice and easy and boom, 400 feet with ease. Well, that was always Mike Piazza. Like he had such yeah. an effortless swing. It was just like, it was perfect mechanics. He just moved his hips through the zone and got through. Also, I want to talk about Mike Piazza's breakfast. Oh, it was insane. We, when we got there, we were eating some food, just like mixing up with the guys. Mike was a little late. I mean, he's, Mike's a Hall of Famer. He's a great city catcher of all time. He could do, he do anything, he wants. He, anything yeah. he wants. And we were commenting, all of us were like, wow, so this is like eggs, bacon, sausage, bagels, lox, like potatoes, everything normal for breakfast. And there was one tray, it's a pomodoro. <laughs> and it was just rigatoni pomodoro. We're like, why in the world is there a thing of pasta here? I don't think anybody touched it for two hours. And then we see Mike Piazza enter the dining room after he got some food. And he has a nice omelet on the left side of his plate. And the right side of his plate is just rigatoni loaded with pasta, which like, I guess by the time he got there, it was like closer to noon. So it yeah. was a little more acceptable, but like this thing started at what? 10 AM. Yeah. Pa I mean, pasta like between 11 and 12 isn't crazy. It's not something I would really do, but it's not insane. But just seeing that the Pomodoro was there, no one touched it. And Iron Mike grabs. I, I lost my mind, especially mixed with an omelet. Well, like, I mean, just throughout the day, like, just some of the people that we saw eating things. I, I know producer John was just munching on the locks. He, he, yeah. he loaded up a fat locks bagel. He was, he was waiting as soon as he got the go, he went right in for the locks and I can't blame him. It was going to go to waste. It looked like premier locks. And we also saw Jay Horowitz who we have to give unbelievable props to for basically putting on this entire production. Clap, clap. clap for Jay. Thank you, Jay Horowitz for doing this thing, doing all this incredible thing for all these all timers. It was also obvious, though, that he was very concerned with how everything was going, though. And we that was actually the first time with like I met Jay and like talked to him and was yeah. able to like, you know, put my hand on his back and like really look him in the eye, and introduce myself. But even like just from hearing stories and like reading parts of his book from over the years, like I not his book, the book written about him or maybe this is his book. I can't remember. You could just like kind of feel Jay's personality because Jay is like this just genuine person who very much cares about the work he does and does it incredibly well. And so very much he was definitely very. I don't want to say nervous, but he's definitely just like feeling, feeling the, feeling the event happening. When you someone who throws an event and the event's going on, like there's some kind of there's nerves that come into you. And he got the biggest plate of eggs I've ever seen someone eat in my <laughs> entire life. It was just stacked up with eggs and pumpernickel bagel, and I was like, oh my god! I mean, the eggs, the champions. The eggs looked fluffy. There was no they doubt about fluffy, it. Yeah. And you did have the eggs. I didn't have the eggs. Like I said, I strictly ate slabs of bacon, which were phenomenal. Mark had um, it was a nice place. So we, they were like actual cloth napkins. So Mark was just like, if I just grab bacon out of the tray, is that animal? And I was like, yeah, I think that is animal. We're around like all-time Mets here. Please don't do that. So he's like, okay. Mark just grabs one napkin, one cloth white napkin, and it's just resting pieces of bacon on there like the whole morning. You know where that napkin is right now, right? You took it? I, I It was in my pocket because when I was interviewing <laughs> people, I would put it in my pocket 
and I got back after old timers day and I'm clearing out my pants. I go, I took the napkin. (laughs) I I I took the napkin from the hotel. It's like the Kool-Aid moment from Tom, Tom Segura. It is. <laughs> you took the napkin home? Dude, I was I was so are you gonna Are you going to keep it? Oh, it's a great napkin. Of course great I'm going to keep it. Of course oh I'm going to keep it. I mean, um, unless they, they, if they need it back, I'll happily return it. But that was not planned. I got overwhelmed. I mean, I spoke to Omar Minaya. I had like a full yeah. conversation with him. He was so we, cool. We talked to him in the parking garage as well. And he seems like he's going to come on the pod at some Dude, point during the offseason. Billy Wagner was unbelievable to talk to. The guy's like a baseball encyclopedia i just parked myself at one point in front of billy wagner and roger mcdowell they of course yeah. did not know who i was and i was just standing in the corner awkwardly but i just like listened to them talk about pitching specifically relief pitching for like 20 minutes it was unreal billy wagner is a guy i would love to get on this because in the brief conversations that we did have because you interviewed him for that and i was standing nearby one that guy can talk two i can yeah. listen to him talk all mm-hmm. day and three He's just such a baseball dude. Like he le- lives and breathes baseball. It's all he wants to talk about. All he wants to think about. He was talking about how excited he was to see guys that he watched when he was a kid. He's like, I can't believe I get to be in the same room as some of the guys from 86. Like he was pumped. It seemed like he had some kind of prior Mets connection just from growing up in Virginia. Norfolk Tides were there for a long time. Virginia, especially at the time that Billy Wagner was growing up, doesn't exactly have like the sharpest baseball ties. There was no team in D.C. The Orioles did exist, but I don't we, I don't know his fandom, but it did seem like he felt some kind of affinity for the Mets. But also, Billy Wagner still coaches baseball. Yeah. And he said high school and travel. So, like, imagine that. Like, there's got to be no, not many people more obsessed with baseball than Billy also, Wagner. Also, did you see him on the mound during the game? He was, like, pumping 90, like, with yeah, ease. Incredible. <laughs> I was like, do you think Billy Wagner, like, how does he throw slow? Like, he was talking about he's been throwing BP to his high school players. He probably just goes out and throws a bullpen, right? And he's like, if you guys can hit this, you can. If you don't, you don't. Like, there's no way he can actually throw BP at, like, a reasonable speed for a high school athlete. No, and then just some other pregame stuff. We didn't get that much exposure to the, the pitchers pregame because they were on the outfield or on bullpens doing whatever they have to do. We got glimpses of Bartolo and Pedro from a distance, but not as close as I would prefer. But we were right on, like, where we normally stand for batting practice, right by the Mets dugout. And seeing these guys step into the cage, we talked about Mike before, but it was just so... So crazy to watch guys from the ages of Daniel Murphy, 38, 39, to John Stearns, the bad dude, Mets catcher from the late 70s, in his 80s, stepping into the box, using, John Stearns was walking around with a cane most of the day, old man, he dropped the cane in the ground, picked up a bat, used the bat as a cane to get into the box, and then took hacks. Yeah, it was sick. John Stearns taking hacks. At 71 years old, like he was the first guy in too, right? He was like, I'm I'm hitting first. Like I want the first, I want the first cuts. To, yeah. I was listening, well, like to Howie, I guess they were doing it on the field, right? They were doing their broadcast. Mm-hmm. And I believe I heard them say that John Stearns played uh, cornerback at the University of Colorado. Like D1 football, cornerback. Awesome. He was great. And I think they asked him, if you were playing football, where would you be right now? He's like, oh, in Canton. I'd, I'd be, <laughs> I'd be the greatest like cornerback of all time. Like, the bad dude, he got that nickname for a good reason. Seeing him take hacks like that was pretty awesome. And Gardo Alfonso taking hacks, seeing that was cool. And then, like, there was, like, a weird moment in where you're seeing, all of a sudden, Daniel Murphy and Jose Reyes taking hacks. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I forget this is old-timers day because these guys were on the Mets a few years ago, both of whom are still in incredible shape and probably could still swing it for a couple teams in the majors right now. Yeah, Cliff Floyd as well. Yeah, Cliff Floyd. Cliff Floyd has an age of the day. He looks like he's like 33 years old. It's unbelievable. He's like an ox. The guy's a beast. Like he gets up in the box. And I was like, oh my God. He's also shaking hands. What? Incredibly friendly. It was awesome. Oh, just nice chit chat with him for like five, 10 minutes. 
I'd like to have him. I don't know if we ever will, but he was, and he's also in broadcasting now. Maybe we can work our connections there, but he was just such a nice guy. I've taken time to talk to us, even at, when the cameras were off. Like, that yeah, was, that's what that I was, was talking cool about. Yeah. yeah, it was, it was very nice of him. Who else? Lighter was there. Lighter was cool. I can't wait. How about, how about Steve Dillon? So he stole, he stole the show in two ways. One's one behind the scenes that me and you will know about. And one during the game was that Steve Dillon, I don't believe was supposed, I, like, I don't think he was really like on the roster to play. I, Cause like, there was all the guys that were there, and then there were guys that actually played. Steve Dillon, the baseball pitcher for the Mets, who was a part of the original 62 team. Oh, my God. Okay. So he wasn't originally on the roster. He's 79 years old. He pitched in this game because he's like, no, I can throw. He went on the mound. He was throwing darts. It was awesome to see him go out there. His Wikipedia page, by the way, his picture is him pitching during Old Timers Day, which is sick. That's so cool for a guy who had a little cup of coffee with the Mets. Yeah, right. It's early on Twitter, too. He was also one of our better interviews. He was great on the mic. I remember I had him, and I told him first, like, loosen him up a little bit because he was wearing a really nice... And the shoes. Gray blazer with, like, Nike shoes. And were the Nike? Yeah, there were some. But they were, like, they flashy were, sneakers. They were blue and orange. Yeah, and he had a nice orange, like, shirt. And I was like, Mr. Dillon, I think you're the best-dressed guy here. And he just laughed. He slapped me on the back. I was going to have a good day. And very great. He, I believe he also told us, might be mixing up our interviews because it was such a whirlwind. I think he said he pitched the first night game in Shea Stadium history. That's awesome. That's that sick. must have been such an electric atmosphere. That's so cool. I know that he was like very close to being the only pitcher in Mets history that got a win at Polo Grounds, Shea, and uh, he or pitch, I shouldn't say get a win, yeah. pitch in Polo Grounds, Shea, and City Field, that he would be the only guy who could say that he's done that, which would be pretty funny. It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. Oh my God. It was just, it was, just, it was crazy. It was, didn't even feel real. It's a lot of things even said in that we were a part of that whole situation. No, got to got to walk by Terry. He, he pulled a professional move. Knows, yeah. knows how to dodge the mics very well. Got to really say that. Good. Well well done by Terry. Pro's pro. You got to respect the move there. We were trying. We wanted Terry badly. He was he was moving. He was bobbing and weaving. You got to respect it. Our Chamsky was chat. He was there from the start it up. to the end, and he was running that table's conversation. He was holding court. He sat at one table during the brunch for almost three hours, and people just kept rotating in just, just to get a word in with Art. And you guys should be able to see all these interviews that we did with these guys at some point. Uh, I don't know when that's necessarily going to come out because we don't no. necessarily know. But we talked to probably 20 plus guys briefly checking in with them. A lot of the old time Mets, a lot of the new guys that were there, too. It was, it was just overall a really awesome event. And I felt like it, every first off, the stadium was packed as well for the game, yeah. which was awesome that like they basically had a sellout to watch old timers day massive ovations for everybody there were lines just, to get in the vibes were incredible they did the red carpet which looked really cool as well like this was a really well thought out really the well team picture out. yeah the team picture like everything i think went about as well as you could have asked if you were you know working for the mets if you were a mets fan if you were someone there it seemed like the players also really did just talked about how great it was for the fans I really think the players like might have had one of the most fun experiences of their entire life. Like the guys on the field after they ended the game, like waving goodbye to the fans. Some of the guys were like teary eyed. They like they got to relive their glory days, which I'm sure for a lot of these dudes, like 
you know, playing in the 60s, playing in the 70s. It's not like playing now. There was no social media. There was no ESPN. You listened if you were local on the radio. Maybe you caught a game on TV if it was nationally televised. And that was it. And there wasn't as much hoopla and fanfare, especially if you see even with a, a team like today's Mets team. Every single day, every single thing that everybody does is the front of the news, the front yeah. of the modern news, Twitter, I guess. But it was just cool for these guys to have their moment in the sun. A lot of them didn't. Yeah, we should also talk about how the Mets did a little secret surprise during the Old Timers Day celebrations and retired Willie Mays' 24 up in the rafters uh, because of the original owner of the Mets, uh, Payson, right? I, I don't remember. Joan Payson. Name. Joan Payson, there we go. She made a promise to Willie when she brought him here that no one else would wear the number 24 after him for the New York Mets. That had not been fulfilled, and the Mets finally did it, which was really cool because it was a straight-up surprise. Like, no, Shock. I don't think. It seemed like nobody knew. No, props to the Mets for keeping that so quiet in-house. Like, it's Definitely. just, you, that's the kind of thing that, you know, everyone has leaks, even, you know, we, we've even been subjected to leaks at times, but it's, it's cool. Like, it's just to actually have a modern day surprise like that, like who else could possibly pull something like that off? Beyonce? She did yeah. it like four years ago. Though. That was a whole different world. <laughs> Beyonce. Oh my God. That was, that was a deep pull right there. I mean, <clears throat> overall, this, this old timers day again was such a success. I put out a tweet. I was like, one, awesome job. Two. Every team in baseball should have an old timers that you should be celebrating all these old players like outside of like maybe the Rockies, like who don't really have much history. Like even the Diamondbacks and Marlins could do it because they've won some World Series. But like, I don't think there's really a team out there that probably couldn't get away with having an old timers day. Has any team done it besides the Mets and Yankees? I think the Cardinals have done it in the past. I think teams have done it in the past, yeah. but I don't think it's going to be as like yearly as the Mets maybe will be. I mean, I don't think this will be yearly. I can't imagine there being another one of these for a little while. I don't know. I, I don't know. Because, like, why not, right? Maybe sure. maybe no, it's yeah. a little bit different. Maybe it's not necessarily, like, as many guys. Special. Yeah. yeah. But I, I feel like it was such a success. And people probably, like, there's so many people that probably want to go to the next one, right? Yeah, so you got to sure. imagine it's going to be a hot ticket next year if they do it again. Like, why not? Big props to Steve Cohen for putting this on. A lot of owners don't want to do this because there's a definitely a hefty price tag that goes along with it. So definitely. just so grateful that Steve got this together, got all these guys in one place for just one single weekend. I can't even imagine like how great the conversations probably were for these guys. Oh, like Mike awesome. Piazza talking in Lee Masilli, like Tim Tuffle, Wally Backman, like Pedro Martinez, Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer. Like it was just crazy to watch the old guys, and the new guys, the old guys and the old guys, everyone interact together on the field. It was, it was beautiful. If you're a fan of baseball, you had to be a fan of old timers day. 10 out of 10, I would rate it 11 out of 10. It was awesome. 14 out of 10, 14 out of 10. Now to talk about the real baseball, it did happen on the field this weekend. Let's talk about that Rocky series. Start off in game one with the Grom day. The boys were there. I listened to simple man in the shower as I do for every Jacob <laughs> DeGrom start because it's just, it's Electric City. I mean, that song, I know Leonard Skinner is one of the great bands, but that song, Jake DeGrom has made it like a hundred times cooler, even though it was already really cool. It hits very differently. And also this was a moment where, at least I felt this way in the first inning, it was almost like we were like at church or something. Yes. Like when Jake DeGrom was pitching, the place was silent until someone swung and missed. Yes. And then everybody cheered, then you stopped and you waited. You let Jacob DeGrom do what he had to do. And then you cheered again. And we had that like very eerie vibe in the stadium too, because he was perfect through four innings. And it was the moment where like, it was only like 50 pitches. We're like, Oh man, I mean, I don't know. It's possible at least. 
Oh, I thought you were gonna. <laughs> I thought you were gonna chime in. I thought you had more to say there. No, yeah, the vibes. The vibes at the stadium were really good, and I I love now that it seems to be a tradition when Jacob Degrom gets on the mound to warm up in the first inning. Everybody's up on their feet mm-hmm. as soon as that first pitch comes in. There's like a roar as well, which I love to see. Yeah, and it was also funny because this is like the second time in the last like three or four starts for Degrom where his command like wasn't perfect right away. He got to a three ball count with the first batter of the game, which he's yep. definitely done a few times this year, and then it was just whoosh, see you later. Smooth sailing. I mean, he was just cruising from the beginning. Ended up having a great line there of six innings, nine Ks, three hits, one walk, one earned run, which was that absolute moonshot by Ryan McMahon. Just a good ball player. We've mentioned yeah. him a lot. We yeah. we we admire Ryan McMahon's game. Anybody who hits the ball 440 feet off Jake DeGrom, you, you are a pro's pro in my book, and he did that. And only 87 pitches for DeGrom, five hard-hit balls, 17 whiffs on 45 swings. Something, though, that, that was cool and I noticed after the game when I was going back and parsing through the stats was that he threw more sliders and fastballs, 44 sliders versus 39 fastballs. Second consecutive start where that has happened. And I think that no, even this year when you go back to the previous starts, this is the closest those two pitches have ever been in usage for DeGrom going back his entire career. 2019 or 20, 2020, they were pretty close, but last year he widened them out again. So I think that's something to keep an eye on because he's now shown enough pitches where like the location trends are starting to really like bubble up. And you're just seeing that his the command of his slider is on such a different level than not only what he's ever done before, but probably any pitcher that's in the game now or that we've ever seen. Like if you go on Baseball Savant or Fangraphs, get a heat map going, it's like a pinhole where he's yeah. putting his sliders. And it's the glove side, bottom corner. And it's just you can't can't do anything about that if you're a hitter especially when you throw in the fastball the fastball has been great as well his command is incredible overall he's walking less than two percent of batters he's faced crazy but like a couple fastballs more so than last year specifically have bled over the middle of the plate and if you think about all of the big hits he's given up that dansby was high middle this mcmahon one was high middle like that's just where they're getting he's getting beat getting beat proverbially like the five runs he's given up in in all the innings he's pitched so I think that's something cool to keep an eye on because also there were only four total changeups and curveballs in the start after there was more of those last time. So it seems like DeGrom is just going to throw this slider as much as humanly possible because it's probably the greatest pitch on planet Earth right now. Yeah, he's pretty unbelievable. Super excited that he's back and pitching as he is for the Mets. It's It really is a treat. Like I, There's not many times where I feel like I say that about a baseball player, but watching Jacob DeGrom pitch, oh, it's it truly is. It, it's a treat. It's like you should everyone should try to go to as many of these as they possibly can this year. Doesn't matter who the Mets are playing, doesn't matter what day of the week it is, but every single start, it's special. Yeah, 100%. You got to be in the stadium. It was also cool because we met up with a longtime listener of the podcast as well, musician Ron Pope, which was awesome. We had like a chat for like three innings, bought us a beer. Really good guy. Would love to maybe get him on the podcast at some point in the offseason because the dude's got stories for days. And he's a lifelong baseball fan, lifelong Mets fan, played college baseball. Like, Really, really interesting guy overall, and he can talk. He knows how to do it well. Absolutely. Also, Central Jersey dude grew up like only about ten miles away from away from where we did. He lived in Brooklyn for a while. Lives out Nashville now. But, you know. Yeah, I mean, depends who you ask. Yeah, Central just, Jersey doesn't exist. Yeah, we had a wonderful time talking. We literally took up his entire game. He was like only in town for I think the weekend, and was like at the game with his, his dad and brother. And he's just like, I'm gonna go hang out with my favorite podcasters instead. <laughs> and we awesome. had a blast doing. We're grateful. I was texting Ron yesterday. Yeah, no, Ron. Ron was awesome. Shout out to you, Ron. We know you're listening. Appreciate you hanging out with us. Uh, hope to see you at a game soon, maybe in the playoffs. You know, come back maybe. to New York and we can hang out. Absolutely. And then otherwise from this game, Lugo had like this kind of keep ticking up. Another one of very good innings, one of his yep. best of the year. Curveball was sharp. Slather using it on both sides of the plate. Fastball got up to over 97 miles an hour. That's big. That's for as much as 
people are upset about this bullpen. Seeing Seth Lugo be able to get guys out all over the field is really, really, really encouraging. Other side of that, this was a frustrating game on offense, a frustrating series on offense because the Rockies pitching is not great. Not great. And Ryan Feltner in this game, who is probably a bottom 10% pitcher in the entire league right now, he had like three walks and two strikeouts, and we just couldn't do anything. Pete hit a big home run early. and that Crushed was, it. Crushed it, but that was also the entire offense. Yeah. I mean, I one I couldn't believe Ryan Feltner wasn't a lefty. I thought I thought Ryan Felt, Feltner was a lefty. That, to me, lefty was name. the most start. Yeah, a lefty name, Ryan Feltner. Like, I was startled when I was like, wait, there's a right-handed pitcher on the mound? Who is this guy? I didn't think it was him. The only thing to pull out of this game was that the Rockies were wearing their purple unis, which is pretty cool. I think they're one of the cooler ones in baseball. Really? John, I mean, John said that down here, so I'm going to believe that he was they're wearing them in this game because I was just I was just so fixated on Degrom. I wasn't really paying attention to what the Rockies were wearing. I really don't remember at all what they were wearing. It was so I just remember that Randall Grichik had his pants rolled up so high they were above his knees. He, he does that, and the guy that was sitting next to me and my parents at the game was heckling him, but at such a low volume that oh. I'm like, who is this for? I don't know why John wrote that at all. The Rockies were not wearing purple uniforms. Okay. That, you know, I didn't want to call out John necessarily, but I, I was like, I don't think they were wearing the purple because I do agree with him. The purple jerseys are really solid. They should wear them more often because their other jerseys are absolutely horrible. Bottom five jerseys in the league. Yeah. Uh, we also did see a couple cool, um, cool Rockies fans wearing the, uh, the, the city connect jerseys, which those are sick. Out, I'm, 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 I've said out loud I don't like the full kit when they wear those with green pants, but just as a jersey to wear like as a fit, like with jeans or something, khaki shorts, like that was a cool looking jersey. The hats are cool too. Yeah, I think. Well, I think that's how you have to rate jerseys too. Like, I, no, because as a consumer, as a fan, you're not you're not throwing on the the green baseball pants and rocking it as a full kit like 100%, you said. But that's how they're wearing it on the field. So that's how I'm going to judge it. If you're asking me to judge uniforms. Fashion sense. Yeah, I mean, you you're, you're, the, the, you're the king of ranking uniforms. I am. Yeah, exactly. That's why you got to listen to me. Don't worry. Don't worry about the pants. So just worry <laughs> about the top. And if it, I feel like the pants adds points. It doesn't normally take away from me. Although the Don't Dodgers, the Dodgers all blue pants are just the, that's like one of the worst shirts I've ever seen. <laughs> we should just do a jersey ranking in the offseason. Oh, giraffe neck mark special. You know I could talk about jerseys for a full hour and not miss a beat. I won't I won't take a breath. That's like one of my favorite things about baseball is the jerseys. Oh man. Moving on to game two here. Cause this one was a little bit a little bit more action than game one, I would say. Got people a little bit. upset online. Fun at first though. Very fun game at first. Very. Brett Beatty, his second career home run. Super Smoked similar, it. yeah, very similar instance of the first career home run where it was I don't remember if it was breaking ball or not, but I know the ball was a little bit on the other half. He just grabbed it with a bad head and flung it out over a right center fence. Crushed the ball. Really like that Brett hit that because it just seems like he'd been he'd been tight. Yes, I I think we said pressing the last time and we both agreed that he not wasn't pre- not pressing. We said he pre- wasn't pressing, but it was the feel of that like I I want to do a little bit more, but I'm not like down on myself. It's just like uh man, it's Major League Baseball. It's it's hard. It's not easy. And you could definitely see that the way the team was interacting with him that that was the case because like. Everyone was like jumping on him. I think someone threw sunflower seeds at him when yeah. he got a dugout, and like it wasn't pressing because I, when I think about pressing, I think about a guy who's like expanding the zone or playing sure. outside of himself. And Brett has not done that. Brett is whiffing at league average. Brett is chasing at league average. Like he's doing everything that we thought would translate, and it has translated. But it's just like the other stuff. It's just like putting it all together and actually, you know, really cranking the ball. And very good to see him 
chill, chill out a little bit and see everyone like kind of act like he belonged there. Yep, Marte had another good game, got that big triple for us, which extended our lead. And as we know, as this game went on, every single run was very, very valuable for us. So it was nice to see Marte swing the bat well, which he's done all year long again and again and again for the Mets. Yeah, but as we've said before, especially last time we played the Rockies, this middle of the order is a good one. It's, it's like not, it's not something to it's not something to sneeze at. Yeah, it's not bad. Like the team record is worse than what their middle of their order is. I think that's the best sure. way I'd put the, it. The middle of their order is the strength of their team. Yes, it's not to be. It's it's not it's not to be trifled with, but it's not something to laugh at. Yeah, like and that that sentence feels dumb, but I feel like people also understand what we mean when we say yes, this. for sure. Like the middle of their order has real baseball players in it. CJ Crone's a professional hitter. Yes, Randall Gritcher, professional hitter. Yeah, Brandon Rogers having a very good season. There's some uh, McMahon, we just said, fantastic baseball player. The ball 440 against Jacob Degrom. Charlie Blackman still plays well. Jose Iglesias exists. Yeah, yeah, that's like I say about him. And Bassett, this was uh, a grinder start for Bassett. He wasn't completely as sharpest, but he still did that Chris Bassett thing where he just digs deep and does every single thing he can to help you win. He got to the eighth inning of this game with just one walk and, and one strikeout, which is shocking. Giving up eight hits. Four earned, three of them on a little Rockies middle of the order rally. We'll talk about in a second. And he got through that lineup just by getting copious amounts of ground balls. He really leaned on the sinker. Seemed like the color was a little bit off. The slider and the curveball, he had him a little bit, but not totally. And it was just sinker, 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 ground ball, ground ball, ground ball. The Rockies hit the ball hard a lot, but mostly it was on the ground. So we didn't really get hurt that often. Just that third time around the order against Rogers, Crone, McMahon, Gritchick, they all found ways to do something and it just seemed like in that inning particularly he lost a little bit of command he got it back for the seventh had to go shut that inning but like he threw five sinkers that inning and three were in the heart of the zone and one was like basically in the heart of the zone and all of them were put in play most of them hard that'll happen it's just it was really nice to see him though that he just dug deep dug yeah. deep dug deep dug deep didn't have your great stuff got your team into the eighth inning a hundred percent now, of course, like we said, this game went a little bit back and forth after an early lead, but luckily for us, Mark Canna existed in this game because in, what was it, in the sixth inning, I guess, right? Bottom of the sixth, Mark Canna yes. got that big double to take the lead back. Bassett followed it up with that shutdown inning, which is so valuable. Well, uh, you know, it's so valuable for a team having that shutdown inning. Like after you get runs on the board, I feel like if you can shut a team down most of the time, that's like, that's a soul crushing blow. You at least that steal being, momentum for a moment. Yes, you steal it for a moment. That being said, though, the eighth inning came around. And Michael Givens, former Rocky, gave it right back up. Yeah, hands up on me, guys. Michael Givens has been pretty bad as a Met so far. He's it's definitely not this bad, though. And he was quite good in the whole first half with the Cubs. We like his stuff. We like his yes. stuff. All the stuff that we said at the beginning, we stand by. But, like, I think I understand the frustrations that people are feeling. Like, I, I can't be mad at them for being frustrated oh, because the performance no. hasn't been up to snuff just yet. For sure. I'm not mad at people for being frustrated. I am mad when people, like, use a guy who's pitched like 10 innings with the Mets as a scapegoat for other things, which that's not really true. And also we mentioned this talking about Frankie Montas either last episode, two episodes ago around the Yankee series, where when guys are changing teams mid season pitchers, especially a lot of things are thrown at them Yeah, because usually when a team acquires a pitcher, they have some kind of new plan or idea for development with them. We've seen this with Luis Castillo has worked in the positive way though. The Mariners have totally reworked his repertoire. He's not throwing four seam fastball anymore. He's throwing basically all sinkers. And he's just, he's been unhittable since that trade. Frankie Montas, he's been throwing more forcing fastballs with the Yankees. We've seen him take a few starts to get the hang of it here. The Mets, I feel like, have done something with Michael Givens' slider because it has a little bit more movement right now, a little bit less velocity. 
and he seems to not exactly have the command of it just quite yet. This star specifically, he threw basically 80, this, this appearance blowing this game against the Rockies through basically 80% fastballs. Just, he couldn't really get that many sliders over the plate. So he's going fastball, fastball, fastball. Well, that fastball does have a lot of life. You can kind of see with that weird arm angle, it kind of jumps up. He had a couple of nice whiffs on it, but similar to the Grom home run on McMahon, he just kind of left one high middle and Elias Diaz got the bat head on it and he had a base clearing double, which was yeah. awful at the time. Really oh, soul, soul crushing. Yeah, we were doing our notes for old timers day at this point. And it was like, Oh no. And then like on Twitter, going back and forth with some people who are again, yeah, ready man. to call the season over. It was the first time I, I believe either of us really got baited into uh, taking on what people were telling us on Twitter. I had, I hadn't had a really good interaction on Twitter like that in a while. I don't think I had one since like May <laughs> since joining the podcast. Literally. Yeah. Really, really gone at anybody, but it was just like, there's frustration and then there's stupidity. I think you're okay to be frustrated, but then like the classic, like where this team's blowing it, the bullpen, this and that. What what was what were you telling me about the bullpen during that day? If you want to share it with the audience, well, I mean, it was specifically just the it fact was like that, the the first time that they've really blown a game. Like, I mean, if you look back at like where the Mets results in the second half, I think because we were doing it manually, the, the bullpen pitchers had I think only four losses. Yeah, and like, like of course they've blown other games because like Dejoelli blew one earlier this week. Yeah, but, but that was there was other metagame circumstances, and the otherwise there we had relief losses from the Gosick after that first Degrom game in Washington, and then R.J. Alvarez because he was playing mop up duty in Atlanta. Yeah, so this idea, this notion, that the bullpen's been blowing all these games is a little bit misconceived, Def- misconstrued by at, at the least. Also, I feel like there's a forgetfulness of Mets fans that we have the the second best record in baseball yeah, for sure, <laughs> and have like a, a, a winning games of basically a 60% clip since the all-star break. Yeah. And like, this was all put on, put pressure on too, because the Braves were really taking care of business against the Cardinals tonight on that night as well. Yeah, Jake Odorizzi just had a no hitter that got broken up by Lars Newt bar. solo oh. home run. Newt, One nothing Newt. Cardinals. Let's go Newt. But it's just, I don't know. I get, I get frustrated with people like, and I can't, I'm not blaming people. Like it's just, it's how fan, like it's just, we're fans, but it's just like the recency bias is what murders me because the Mets bullpen this year, it's not great. It's not one of the best bullpens in the league. There's no way. It's definitely not in the first tier, but it's not, it hasn't been like this horrible Achilles heel. We've seen some way worse Mets bullpens. Guess like remember, actually. You guys remember Antonio Bastardo? <laughs> don't, don't bring his name up. But like, <laughs> it, I'm starting to get angry just thinking about it. But it's just like this. I don't know. Like it, I'm not going to tell everyone a lot of people that bullpens like this massive strength right now. But it's not killing the team. You wouldn't have the second best bullpen record in baseball if your bullpen was killing the team. It's just relatively the weakest part of this team because the Mets have a really good team. Yeah, like it, by proxy. Yes, and what the hell are you going to do, man? Whatever. Thank God. Thank God. For Thank God. Everyone knows my favorite player, Mark Hanna, because he stepped up to the plate in the bottom of the eighth inning after the chaos and the hoopla. Saved everybody's ass. This is the quickest time a Mets season ended and restarted this year. And we've had those happen within like a day or two cycles. Yeah. This was about 25 minutes of the Mets season concluding and then being reborn because Mark Hanna had a two RBI double to tie the game in the eighth inning here against the Rockies bullpen that is not very good. And no. we knew that. This game was not over and Mark Hanna proved it. And it kind of tied back into this incredible stretch that Mark Hanna has been on since August 15th where he's basically hitting 400, 389 batting average, 463 slug, 860, 861. I guess that's no. Oh, no, wait. that's probably his slug is the 861. Yeah, 389 average, 463 on base percentage, 861 slug. That's crazy. Three homers and 11 RBIs. That's since August 15th, 14 out of 36. 11 extra base hits in that span are tied with Alex Bregman for the most in baseball. One more than Mookie Betts. Mookie that Betts is pretty good. Less than two weeks of Mark Hanna. And Will Salmon of The Athletic, friend of the program, 
had a very cool article that came out this weekend about Mark Hanna. Which, yeah, you you told me about this because I, I I like the athletic. I just I don't do a lot of reading. If you yeah. made it, if you put that in video form, I'm all over it. But as soon as I got to read, I'm not in school anymore. What do I need to read for? Well, that's that's a that's a childish take, but <laughs> I want to read an excerpt from it because if if Mets Up podcast fans, real real lifers with us, listen closely, you'll hear about why this that's quote good. endeared us to Mark Hanna even more than it ever had before. He just became your favorite player because of this. Ever. Every time I faced Brad Hand in the past, it's been a struggle for me, Canna said. And I realize it's because of his motion. He has a strange pause in his delivery, has kind of a weird arm angle. I've had trouble picking up his pitch. Canna's mind stirred on ideas to fix the problem. The next day, Canna, a right-handed batter, saw something similar from Braves lefty Danny Young. Another odd delay, weird delivery form, special arm angle. In Canna's first at-bat against Young, he hit a weak ground ball that Braves third baseman also rallied for an easy out. Canna would have one more chance against Young, another opportunity, put into practice an idea he had pondering because of his struggles against Brad Hand. Okay, Cannon then said to himself, it's time to make the adjustments. It's going to work. Is that the bitch? I think I might have read the wrong quote. You got it. You got to get this one right. I read the wrong quote. We got to re- reset 30 seconds here. All right, Abiel. My bad. You got to go back to the start when he's reading this. <laughs> Way yeah, to go, I, James. I, I found it. You, you were reading it, and I was like, that's not what's in the notes. I know. It was the wrong quote. No, but it was a, it was a, it was a period before the notes. That's why I wanted to reset it. Let me sit, look at it again. And you're making fun of me for reading. Well, I'm reading it well. I'm just reading the wrong part. Yeah, comprehension's part of it. <laughs> it's funny. <laughs> Let me make sure I got this right before I start again. Yeah. <laughs> if this flows well, you can keep some of this in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right. Talking about the game from Canada from a couple weeks ago here against the Phillies. Canada had two hits. The way he saw it, he was getting there. That is until Hand, Brad Hand, as you guys know, one of our favorite pitchers, Brad Foot as we call him, took the mound. Leading up to that day, Canada was hitless in three career at-bats against Hand with two strikeouts. On August 14th, Canada's last at-bat of the game, Hand struck him out looking. At that moment, Canada was frustrated. He said he thought to himself, how can I be feeling this good swing the bat? But once Brad Hand comes in, all of a sudden, I can't pick up the ball. It's awesome. That's so <laughs> Crazy. sick. It's amazing. That's so sick as part of the Brad Hand truthers club over here. Uh, yeah. It's great that Mark Canna also shares the same sentiment. That means we're right. Canna is one of the most cerebral guys, it looks like, in baseball. Absolutely. And from that moment on, Canna realized that these kind of lefties, these weird, quirky lefties, were struggling for him to pick up the ball. So what he did later on, he spread his legs out slightly more than usual with the objective to see the ball better. By doing this, still reading from The Athletic, he thought he had a better chance to keep his head still. He would have cut down his leg kick. The idea was to get more balanced, distribute his weight better between his feet, and not move his head as much. Yeah. And once that happened, August 15th, you guys heard all the stats I just read. Mark Cannon has been an absolute world beater, and we are very thankful for it. Yes, made the game nice and close for us. And then it was followed up by the Pete Alonzo walk-off in the ninth. Mets win, Mets win, Mets win, which was my tweet. And the season was uh, saved, according to some Mets fans. Again. Again. 
And now we can run through these last few games because we already talked so much about Little-Timers Day. The game almost seemed like secondary. It really what, did. What happened all day. And just the big story was David Peterson coming back onto the mound in front of a, a rockin' city field and just simply dominating his hometown Colorado Rockies. Who did he who did he pitch this game against? Because it was Freeland. It was Freeland. Okay. Apparently, like they're they're boys because Peterson oh, really? lives in Colorado. I think he's a Colorado kid. I think that's like where he's from. I literally just said that. Oh, oh my bad. I missed that. <laughs> Whatever. But yeah, he's friends with Freeland. So apparently that was well, like I think he's also a Colorado kid. Yes, he is. So that was a cool thing for them to pitch against each other. It was even cooler that David Peterson got the win for the Mets because he's just he's really become a really nice pitcher for this team. This Peterson, this Peterson should start staying the rotation forever. Because this this David Peterson went six innings, seven strikeouts, and no walks, only giving him four hits. And no walks is massive because walks have been the one thing that's plagued Peterson all year because his stuff is great. The fastball has life. The slider is nasty as hell. And the changeup has now come along to be a wonderful. Why come along? Not exactly come along because that was his calling card. He went back to it. He went away from it. Now he's come back to it a little bit. Having all three of those pitches working, the Rockies were powerless against him. 15 whiffs on that slider. The Vila was up again, second time, and I think a week we're saying that about Peterson. Doing all of that without walking a single batter. Of course, this is a Rockies. Just talk about how good the middle of their order is, how fine the middle of their order is. Not really great, <laughs> but it's not like the worst lineup in baseball. Seeing him just completely dice them up was ridiculously amazing for this team. It's so valuable to have a guy like Peterson who could be a part of this rotation, or if you don't want to have him in the rotation, out of the bullpen, like – He's just really become a really, really good pitcher. Like everyone was excited in 2020 in his rookie year, seeing what he did for the Mets. It was like, oh, here he comes. But this is not the same David Peterson. It's the same type of idea of like, oh, look at this young starter that the Mets have. But this version is legit and is going to stay around for quite some time. And we have a couple stats here to really exemplify this per John. Peterson is a 2.42 ERA in his last nine starts. Only five home runs given up in that span. Had not allowed a home run in four straight starts. This was the fourth star of his career with at least six innings pitched and no walks third this season. First star of his entire career on Saturday, six innings, no runs, and no walks. Yeah, he's he's awesome. He's been really, really good. Ridiculous. I feel like there's no other way to say it. And then on the offensive side, Brandon Nimmo had a great game, leadoff homer, a double, drove in two runs. Mets didn't really do much offensively in this game, but Nimmo and Marte pretty much got did, did everything that we needed in this game. And very cool to have a leadoff home run in front of this crowd. Everybody yes. was there. Everybody was keyed in. Everyone was there early. Nemo doing that to start really, I feel like set the team on this kind of like good vibes, like streak the whole game. You know, it was also cool. We have our promo that goes up on the video board before the games. And normally people are filing in this and that, but everyone was already in their seats. We gained like 25 followers on Twitter Sick. immediately when that happened, which was cool because really, normally, really cool. normally people are, you know, lollygagging around enjoying yeah. the sights and sounds, but they were there. So we gained a lot of followers. So that was nice for us as well. That is very cool. Also, a couple more stats from John. Saturday was Nimmo's sixth career game with multiple extra base hits off the left-handed pitcher. Love that. That's just can tell Mets fans right there how much growth we've seen from Brandon Nimmo over this year, especially. Saturday gave Nimmo's sixth career leadoff home runs. Three have been against the Rockies. That is an unbelievable stat. That's funny. And Nimmo tied uh, our proverbial old-timers day MVP, Mookie Wilson, for the sixth most leadoff home runs in Mets history with Mookie in the ballpark, which was a cool moment. Do you think Definitely. Mookie knew that? No. Yeah, that's something we actually talked about, like with a lot of these interviews we were doing. Like, do you think a lot of these Mets old timers are aware of their obscure records? I think no, I don't think so. I, th- I think it's hard. 
you have to be a stack guy. And I just imagine that being a stack guy in 1986 is different than being a stack guy in 2022. So I'm sure they know, I'm sure they know their stats. I'm sure they yeah. know a lot of their accolades, but Mookie Wilson having the most leadoff home runs in Mets history. No, no, no. Maybe. Sixth most. Oh, si- oh, oh, absolutely not. Yeah, well, that no is no, but most. I'm saying like, I don't remember which one we were talking about. We were talking about someone who did something bizarre. Someone who had like the most go-ahead hits or walk-off hits or something from the notes we were putting together. Oh, yeah, there was a weird one. I don't remember. I don't Dude, remember either. But it's just four, be- four game weekend is yeah, with old timers day. I oh, know. my God. A lot of I information was- being taken in. I was at the Meadowlands this morning at 9 a.m. too. It's been intense. I was back home celebrating my mom's birthday. Happy birthday, mom. Uh, with, the, with the family on the Greek side. It was a great day. Here's a funny little tidbit. I came home. And usually when I come home, I grew up Italian, Italian family. I'm always really excited to come home to like great leftovers in the fridge, funky snacks in the pantry. Your parents are big Trader Joe's people completely forgot that my parents had ripped apart the kitchen last week. So I walked in, there's no cabinets, there's no fridge, there's no sink. What did you do? We we grill, we grill everything. So tomorrow morning we're going to make eggs on the grill for breakfast. We're washing washing dishes in the bathroom with the hose (laughs) on the front lawn. You can grill eggs? Well, you bring a pan, you put it on the grill. (laughs) I was like, Uh, wait, I was like, shell on? Like, (laughs) you're going to grill the shell of the eggs what are you talking about <laughs> and the hard boiled egg on the grill oh that would be horrible it had to taste terrible an oven roasted egg <laughs> <laughs> man we're losing it here we're losing yeah. it it's been a long weekend you have to turn the ac off it's hot yeah it's, it's, it's getting too loud. loud it's nice and cool in my parents basement it's like 20 degrees colder than it is in the entire house yeah, i'm up in my room so you guys might hear crickets which is also kind of funny also saturday was cool because it clinched a winning season for the mets Buck becomes the first manager since Willie Randolph, who was also on hand, yep. to have a winning season in his first season with the team. Talk about Sunday briefly. because Four it was seconds. <laughs> one of the more annoying Mets games of the year. Um, we got shut out by Herman Marquez because he owns us. Yeah, of course we did. He's just, something happens, especially when he comes to City Field. He's where Herman, Herman Marquez goes, oh, uh, I'm, I'm Jacob DeGrom, the best pitcher on the planet. This is his fourth win against the Mets in his career, including two complete games. Got 41 strikeouts and 44 innings, 327 ERA. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I think one of those complete games, to be fair, was a seven inning doubleheader game. I think you're actually right about that. I feel but like I distinctly still completed, still completed the game. Yes. Scherzer was good, though. I mean, like, they, they lost one nothing. Scherzer was, was still cash. Scherzer's better starts with the team. Like, the only reason the Rockies even got one run was because a bunch of nickel and dime hits. Like, it sucked. Yeah. Baseball. That's baseball. It happens sometimes. That is baseball. Yep. But. Of course, this one bad, really bad offensive game. Also, not I mean, it wasn't a great offensive weekend. The Mets only scored more than three runs once in four games. Yeah. Pretty great that they got to win three of them. But people were, like, very mad online. The Mets got shut out. Like, people were, like, embarrassed, even though, again, the Mets have the second-best record in the baseball. Don't tell people that. No, no, don't say that at all. And hilariously, the Mets have the fourth-most runs in baseball over the last 30 days. Oh, and definitely don't tell anybody that. No, yeah, people were very mad about the offense. That the I offense s- stinks. Fourth-most <laughs> runs in baseball in the last 30 days. I saw a funny fourth tweet. Most from somebody replying to another person. I believe it was Meek Phil. Shout out to Meek Phil, legend on Twitter. He was replying to someone who was like, the Mets offense is averaging 2.8 runs per game in the month of August. He's like, it's not even true. Yeah, it's not true at all. I think it was like 4.6. People are just throwing out fake stats to fit their agenda, which again, is sometimes anti-Mets, which doesn't make sense for a Met fan. Dan's just hit through run home run and take the lead. That's crushing. That is just I I almost wish you didn't tell me. I wish there was a world where that didn't happen. I hate the Braves so much. Gotta break news to the listeners, of course. <sighs> I hate the Braves. It's they're so oh, of course annoying. it was off, it was off Ryan Helsley too. And oh. of course it was Ryan Hel- Adam Wainwright only got charged two of the runs, so I, he's not even gonna get a loss against me in fantasy. God. All right, that's good. that's good for me. I have Wainwright in fantasy. I don't <clears> mind that. Damn it. 
Shall we bring in John here? Because uh, as you guys know, with the estimate, it was about old timers day and your boy in the new system, not only won, but hit the nail on the head. Ding, ding, ding. I said nine runs total in the game and it was eight to one. I mean, I couldn't have been more hot this weekend. That's crazy. I mean, I'm sitting there. Uh, I was catching up with a buddy who actually had really cool seats behind the plate. And, um, you know, I'm up in the control room during games. Uh, so I haven't sat in the stands at City Field in – it's been a while. Um, so to be able to have a vantage point like that and see Mark just nail it on the head, that's – what a day. I mean, what a you day. know, all the other stuff, all the other stuff you guys talked about um, was obviously amazing too. Uh, and I, I have a confession to make. Uh-oh, let's hear it, John. I also accidentally took a napkin from the hotel. Let's go! No way! <laughs> let's go, John! I have to go back yeah. and get a napkin. <laughs> I was I was being, as Mark and James would say, animal with my locks. Like, right before we were about to leave. So much locks. This is, this is when I looked at Mark. And I said, dude, it's going to go to waste. Like, they're not going <laughs> to repurpose that. I might as well, like, just try to put as much of a dent in it as I can. So, grabbed half a bagel, slammed a bunch of locks. And I don't like cream cheese. I'm only locks, which I know is very weird. That's, you don't like it's cream usually, cheese? That's bizarre. I don't. I know. How is that it's even usually, possible? I'm just not a big cheese guy. I think I, think I used to like it. Can Rumor is when I was young. Can I switch? Yeah. Can can I take your cheese? Can we switch? Because uh, I love cheese and I can't as lactose intolerant. And you have the ability to and you oh, choose not right. to. That infuriates me. Wait, yeah. can I also <laughs> tell listeners something funny that happened on Saturday? Go for it. Oh, God. <laughs> so <laughs> Mark and I have been peeling John back layer by layer. Met him when we first started this gig. We've, we've all, we're all becoming friends here. A lot, a lot of just nice Central Jersey guys hanging out. North Jersey and he's South, but it's all right. <laughs> Mark and I have been talking for like a few weeks now about what car john drives <laughs> it's just like you guys won't get this because you're you don't see the whole personality of john day by day you know what, what, what's when johnny threads uh johnny stats johnny linens johnny linen we were trying to figure out what kind of car he drives because john john's a complex individual and i want to toot my own <laughs> horn because i hit this car make model color completely on the head so money unbelievable honda civic i think that's right Black Honda Civic 2013 yep. jersey plates. If you see me, get out of the way. But, um, <laughs> I, I freaked out. <laughs> I just talked to Billy Wagner. I was like, I guess John's car right. And I jumped in the air. Yeah, that was that was funny. That was uh, funny to hear that you guys were were talking about that secretly. Too bad it doesn't <laughs> count for, uh, for estimate. Thank know, God it was, doesn't. I need yeah. all the points I can get. And as we know, you know, I, I got one this weekend, which is great. That's fine. Yeah, well, I think it's two out of the last three for you, Mark, which is more than you could say for the first uh, however many. If I wasn't a dumb idiot with the booze one at Yankee Stadium, if I if I had if I followed my brain and not my heart, as as I said in that episode, never follow your heart, always trust your brain. I, it would be six four right now, and it would really be striking, getting interesting. You'd be in striking distance. I'd be in striking distance, but because of that flub, because of that critical error. I'm four away, but the new system, I think, plays to my advantage. I agree. And I think that the one we have coming up that I'll, I'll get to in a second is a really good one. Um, I just want to ask you guys really quickly. Obviously, Mike Piazza, I know for anyone in our age range, is the guy along with David Wright. Um, as far as like Mets legends we looked up to. 
but who was the second person at all the festivities Saturday who you were the most just starstruck being around? Who was that that just made you totally kind of not freak out, but you know what I mean? If, if I would have been up close to Pedro, I would have freaked out. Yeah. So I, th- I think he's probably, if not the, I mean, he's probably of our generation, the best pitcher that like I ever saw in my life, mm-hmm. the most dominant, at least, or at least the one who stunned me the most with his stuff, because you could definitely claim like DeGrom, Kershaw, Scherzer, of course, they all might have had, I mean, not even a better peak. It might've had a little bit more, more of an extended prime than what Pedro had. But like when I was like learning about baseball and discovering what it was, like he, he was everything. And just he he said he's such like a I don't know the magnitude of his presence it's unbelievable. Pedro's a good answer for me. I got to go with Jose Reyes just because that's another one of those like forever Mets we grew up around. Like I know he played for other teams, but like really he's he's a Met at the end of the day. And seeing him on the field, being around him, watching him take BP, like being within feet of him, I was like, oh my god, it's it's Jose Reyes. Like this was the guy that you know yeah. ten or not even ten years ago. It's a lot longer now, sixteen years ago, whatever it was. I was watching every single day and being like, wow, we have Jose Reyes next to David Wright. Like he was a part of what was supposed to be the great long future of the Mets. It was kind of beautiful to hear the Jose, 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 when his name got announced for the ceremony. I was like, oh, I was like, I felt warm inside. Yeah, no, I think Jose is my pick. I also was, it was really cool, like to be around just like, I like seeing the cult heroes too. Like a Benny Agabayani was really cool. Just mm-hmm. such a cult classic. And then Edgardo Alfonso, I used to love saying his name when I was younger. I thought it just really mm-hmm. rolled off the tongue. And I was lucky enough that to does get roll off the tongue. Edgardo Alfonso. Like I would like really throw some, some spice on it. And it was cool that I got to talk to him and do the interview with him. Cause he was a guy that I really admired when I was younger as a player. That's awesome. One thing for sure. Like the one thing that stood out to me in terms of athleticism during that game Andy Chavez could probably still play in a major league outfield. A hundred percent. He would question. be, he would be it's amazing. He would be the best center fielder on the Marlins. Yeah. Um, that's on a lot that, of teams. I think probably. Yeah. <laughs> I think about that. I mean, center field is kind of a shallow position around baseball anyway, but I mean, it was just, you know, he's not that old. I think he's 44. I think we look today. I have a picture so of Andy Chavez on my wall. I loved Andy Chavez. when I was a kid making the catch. No, it's just him taking a hack. That's hilarious. Gotcha. That you have him swinging and not with the catch. I, I, I might have honestly gotten it before the catch because I just really liked Andy. He was just That's a grinder. Funny. He was a good defensive player. I just thought he was a good player. He's a guy too. When we were yeah. watching take BP, we were saying how like he would benefit. He would have benefited so much from the way that modern baseball is played now and how they teach hitting because but, he's such a good little player and like he used a lot of his body. I think he got could have gotten more out of it. Dude, the irony of that is he is using these advanced methods and he's in, like enhancing the mess organization from the inside. He's a coach of the FCL. I'm not, I don't remember if he's is he the head manager, John. I believe so. No, I think he's an outfield instructor. He was oh, talking okay. a lot about that. Um, I actually heard an absolutely hilarious a story that he was telling Billy Wagner about getting thrown out of the game down there <laughs> and arguing with an umpire. And I'm not going to tell the rest of the story, but it was it was just awesome to hear. And it's really cool, like you said, James, that he is working with, you know, the young players building those blocks that, you know, you need to build to to develop young players into major league ball players. And who better to learn from than Eddie Chavez? And the FCL is such a unique league in general because that's the first introduction a lot of literal teenagers have to to, to a new country. And to have a guy like Andy, you need you basically you need someone trustworthy there because there's a lot of there's a lot of bad things right. that happen in baseball with younger younger Latin American players. So it's very cool to see him be so well respected to see players like speaking and thinking like other people in the organization speaking so highly of him and him 
being able to come back for an event like this was just cool. Cool Definitely. overall. Yeah. And another cool connection, his, uh, his famous walk-off drag bunt was against the Colorado Rockies. Nice. Uh-huh. That was cool. So that was a nice little connection with Andy Chavez for this weekend. But um, for me, it was, it was probably Daniel Murphy. I got to speak with Murph. Yeah. Um, got to uh, work on a project that hopefully Mets fans will see soon. Um, just catching up with some former players, talking about some big playoff moments. And obviously everyone thinks about the home run streak in the 2015 playoffs. But I was sitting there thinking about that entire run and his, his contributions. And I remembered, and I think it's so overthought, his base running play. Yep. Where he yeah. went from first to third on a Lucas Duda walk. And he walked me through the entire sequence of like the umpire not making a very, very obvious call and how he locked eyes with Corey Seager and Seager in that (laughs) moment knew that he was kind of SOL and that Murph was going to beat him (laughs) to the bag. It was just so cool to hear such a detailed recount of that, of that instance, obviously not too long ago, but I mean, Mm -hmm. it was seven years ago now, Um, man, which only means we're getting older. So no, I wasn't even, I couldn't even have a legal drink of alcohol at that time. <laughs> I was a sophomore in college. I was a child. Yeah. 19. And, and wow. Well, I'm 20, sure you guys weren't drinking at all at that point. So that's good. No. I actually, I, re- I distinctly remember not drinking at all during that postseason run. I wanted to keep myself was pure, that a nerves for, thing? pure for the Mets. Yeah. Pure just, for the Mets. That's being, awesome. I'm being sarcastic. Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> I told the story in this show, like a month you ago. did. That, <laughs> I got too drunk after the Mets won the first world series game I ever see consciously. And I missed a flight home for my mom's birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I do remember that. now. I got standby though. I got it back. And I know my mom's listening to that. So nice. A bad night to, be, to have been drunk was, the night after the night you're talking about Halloween 2015. Oh, yeah, I remember yeah. that one. That time. was not a good night to be drinking. That no. was no, it wasn't. But anyway, so yeah, just an amazing, amazing time. It was so cool to be part of that. Um, you know, your dad's made you guys Mets fans. Yep. Same with me, and you know, just the entire history for us. We didn't see all of it, so it's really cool for it to be evident in front of us. But anyway, back to the current estimate for this week: Dodgers coming to town. And I was thinking for a good one here. Obviously, we try to bring only the best estimate to the table. Um, and the Dodgers, one of the biggest pains in the butt in that lineup is Max Muncy, who is like Juan Soto in the fact that he does not chase pitches. He has the second lowest chase rate in baseball behind only Juan Soto. And on the other side of the coin, Mets pitchers this year have induced the fourth highest chase rate among all staffs. And that's obviously Jacob DeGrom. And Edwin Diaz and the wipeout sliders, and mm-hmm. you guys know the rest of the arms in the, on the Mets staff. So the question is for you guys, how many chases will Mets pitchers induce during this three-game series for Max Muncy? So I'm going to do some quick math second. here. Quick math. Three-game three. series. What are, what are our projected starters, do we know? It's going to be Walker, DeGrom, Bassett for the Mets. Okay. I believe Gonsolin's pitching – for the Dodgers on Tuesday, I think Tyler Anderson's going to go. Heaney's listed. I did see Gonsolin though somewhere else. So, but I do know it's going to be Anderson May. I'm pretty sure. Oh, maybe because the off day they can they can skip somebody. I'm assuming that they're off tomorrow. I haven't checked. I know that I know they're intending to do a six man rotation when Kershaw comes back. But I don't know if that's mm-hmm. necessarily like now or just they're planning for it. Gotcha. I know where he is pitched today. And the Dodgers also saw, I guess we're going to like do ease into this Dodgers preview now. They kind of saw how much tired pitchers could hurt the playoff run. So I think they're really going to try and uh, space these guys out with their massive division mm-hmm. lead anyway. 
I've got my number written down. I did okay. some math. Okay. I'm proud of the math. Mar- Mark's the thinking man over there. Meanwhile, James and I are trying to decipher who the Mets are going to see. Just, just where I wanted you. Why do you think I asked the question? <laughs> I wanted to focus on my numbers. I didn't have to carry a conversation. I did Decoy all my math when John was when John was pontificating two, three uh, minutes ago. Ohio State guy over here. He's <laughs> doing doing quick math in his head. I had to write it down on a piece of paper like the old days. Go Bucks! All right, Where's all right. That? You guys ready to show? Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. On the count of three. One, two. Three. Bang. Wow. Nineteen. Wow. I went seven. That's interesting, James. Nineteen chases? Yeah, I think so. Okay, so a chase is defined as what? Just so the viewers at home know. A a swing of the pitch outside the strike zone. Okay. Correct. That's interesting. So the way I did my math was his chase rate's about 17% right now. I figured he's going to get about 12 at-bats in the series. He's going to see about four pitches every at-bat, I think. Wow. See, I win six pitches per at-bat, and that's why. My, and I also bumped his chase rate up to about 20% because it'll okay. be a little bit higher in the season average against Jacob Jake, Jake Drum. That's a, a good point. Pitchers. I put him at 48 total pitches for the series. And then, wow. You see, I put him at like almost 90. Yeah, I did I did the math, and I it came out to 7.2. I thought about going eight just to round up. But I, I went with seven just because... How many at-bats do you think he's going to get this series? I think he's going to get 12. I think he's going to get 15. Uh, it's a three games. I mean, I like to do I like to do conservatively. Like, well, I did, like, I, I, honestly, I did my math for 14. But I, I just the Dodgers lineup is good. Like It's going to spin around. For sure. And he I hasn't think, been hitting at the bottom of it. I didn't really take that into consideration. There's also a world, too, where, like... I mean, Max Muncie, like, he, he doesn't chase. Of course. Like, he doesn't chase. So, I mean, if he puts a ball in play, he puts a couple of one out of five for sure. He puts a ball in play quickly like that. That really does help the numbers for me. This is great. I doesn't swing for his pitch. We just have to get above seven here. Yeah. Uh, well, not necessarily. Yeah. If it, I mean, it goes above, right? No, I think it's just the difference between the two. Okay, fine. Yeah, it's, it's a difference. Like, yeah, it's whoever cl- no price is right rules. Yeah. Right. So, <laughs> I mean, eight, you still lose, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I like happens. my number of seven. That buys me. That buys me to what? Like thirteen, I guess. Yeah, that's probably good. Yeah, I think you're gonna win this one again. I think that's a pretty good number by me. Look, the new system. Don't let Mark get hot. <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy high guess by James. I think the disparity is wild. The one thing is, uh, Max Muncy is a full count machine. I think he's had 87 plate appearances go full. Like, I, think I think he's, he's missed gonna, a I lot think, of time this year. I think he's seen like six, seven pitches in that bat for sure. I think that's fair. I, I. I like to think the Mets pitchers are just going to really attack, especially against Max Muncy, knowing that he's just going to spit on everything that's not really close. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. We'll, we'll see how this one plays out. John, as always, Interesting. appreciate you helping us out here with this estimate. And uh, hopefully the next time we talk, I will have another victory in the scorebooks. I don't want to wear a tuxedo. That was uh, That's an interesting one. Seven versus 19. You guys at home. Keep an eye out this series because uh, I know you guys are watching closely for the estimate to see who will be wearing a tuxedo. Is it going to be for opening day or have we said that was going to be for the playoffs now? I don't think we've decided yet. We're going to see if the Mets help us out. Okay, yeah. Whatever help we get from the Mets will be the quickest that we can do it because I don't think either of us want to pay to rent a tuxedo. <laughs> no, I won't. <laughs> All, All right, right, let's do this Dodgers preview here to wrap up this episode. Yep. I mean, there's no other way to describe this, but the best two teams in baseball record-wise are going toe-to-toe. Dodgers are really, I mean, they're just they're just so good. They're a really, really good baseball team. You guys know this. We don't have to tell you about it. Everywhere you look, they got good players. I mean, Will Smith's like the best catcher in baseball, arguably. Freddie Thank Freeman's you. having an MVP-type season again because, of course, he is. Because, of course, 
when Freddie Freeman leaves the Braves, he goes to the Dodgers. He couldn't go to like the Texas Rangers, the Oakland A's. He couldn't, he couldn't do us a favor and just like leave. And we don't have to see him again. Trey Turner's playing great. Gavin Lux is even playing great. Now, Max Muncy, who started the year off slow, got hot recently. Cody Bellinger. I'm not going to say anything about Cody Bellinger. I have no comments, but Mookie Betts, Justin Turner, like Trey Turner. I said Trey Turner, didn't I? I miss him there, man. Yeah. Trace Thompson. You can, they pull guys out of nowhere and they just have great years. Like this team is unbelievably good and their pitching is great. And yeah, speaking about pulling guys out of nowhere, the Dodgers bullpen this year is like ridiculous. Everyone besides Craig Kimbrell is like almost unhittable in this bullpen, which is kind of ironic because he's still the closer. But like Evan Phillips, who's a guy who I, I just, he's, he's so good right now. It's yeah. like stupid. Well, uh, Vesia is fantastic. Vesia is one of my favorite pitchers to watch in baseball. Bruzdar just came back. Yeah. I think uh, Daniel Hudson still hurt. He is still hurt. I believe. Right. Yeah. Uh, and like they, they do have some injuries in the bullpen, like Yancy Almonte, who was another guy they, they pulled from the Rockies, which is funny and just made him nasty. He's on the IL as well. But I mean, even like it, it, you just go through this roster and you're like, Oh, it makes sense why they're the best team in baseball. Yeah, it really does. But you know what? Right now, based on record, we're the second best team in baseball. There's no reason we can't beat the Dodgers. There's no reason. I'm not calling for sweeps. I'm not. I'm not asking for crazy stuff. But a win to win the series against the Dodgers is not out of the question. The Mets have their really good pitchers going. The Mets are a really good baseball team. Swing the bats. Play the game that we've seen them play all year long, and we have a very good shot in the series. Definitely. And you're getting a look at two guys who crushed the Mets last time around. The two games the Mets lost in Los Angeles were pitched by Tony Gonsolin and Tyler Anderson. Each of them made the Mets hitters look foolish. For, yeah. I think each seven-ish innings. See him again. Get get on him. Come on. You're, you can't win a World Series. You can't beat the Dodgers. So you got to do it. And then we're going to see Dustin May on a Thursday, an evening game, a twilight game, four o'clock start. He is so good. So, yeah, so, so good. You're a big Dustin May guy. I know his stuff is, I know his stuff is like video game-like, so I'll respect he, it. Yeah, he came up when he was a rookie two years ago, two full years ago, and he was good, but he was not great. And he kind of was throwing a lot of sinkers. He wasn't really getting any whiffs. He just couldn't really. His his two-seamer sinker moved so much. Like, it was very video game-like on Pitching Ninja. It was featured on there predominantly for, like, for like every single start he made. But it was almost so crazy that he couldn't control it at all. So it always just had to wind up in the strike zone. He had to, like, kind of be in the middle of the plate because he know how else to, to get it there. Now he's really gotten the hang of it, and his slider's crazy, his curveball's crazy. Like he's just he's been unhittable basically since he came back. I think both starts are against the Marlins, so we'll see. This might be his first real test. <laughs> yeah, but he's he looks amazing. Yeah, uh, I mean it's it's going to be a tough one, but playoff baseball. I mean, get out to the ballpark. You're going to get a playoff atmosphere. Mets Dodgers here. The Dodgers fans also travel extremely well, and oh, are, they'll be they'll be here. Are pretty intolerable to deal with, but yeah. they make some noise. So it's going to be a fun series out in Queens. They're they're really confident for a fan base that has only won 27% of a World Series this generation. <laughs> yeah, the Mickey Mickey Mouse World Series is the definition of it. No, they had 20, they, they they won a really a they quarter won, of a World Series. A little more than a quarter, less than a third. Okay, yeah, 27%. Yeah. 27%. <laughs> yeah. It's good. It's impressive. Listen, beat the Dodgers, feeling really good. You lose to the Dodgers, they're the best team in baseball. I mean, there's no way around it. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> got me. You know how we're doing it. But I think that's pretty much all we got to say about this episode, right? Lengthy one, but we had a lot to talk about. Old Timers Day. Old Timers Day, four-game series against the Rockies. A little fun with the estimate. You guys know the drill, though. If you have enjoyed everything that you're seeing, everything that you're listening to, you know, all that, make sure you follow us on all our social media, at MetsUp on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. The YouTube video will be on the New York Mets YouTube channel if you want to give a look at that. If you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Odyssey, wherever you get your podcasts, rating, review, download it, subscribe, whatever you got to do so you don't miss out on these episodes, make sure you do that. Follow James on Twitter at 
James underscore Shiano. And you can follow me on Twitter at GiraffeNeckMark with a C. Thank you guys for listening. Thank you for watching. And we'll see you on the next episode after the Dodger series. Peace out. Peace out, guys. See you next time. Get up. Get, get up. Get up.